America needs a spiritual awakening. How can we see God work in revival today? Find out on today's episode of A View from the Wall. Join I Am A Watchman Ministries Managing Editor Joe Kerr with co-host Dylan Burroughs, bringing you a fascinating discussion regarding the importance of Bible prophecy and Christian living today as it relates to our responsibility as believers to be watchmen. This is A View From The Wall. Welcome to A View From The Wall. I'm Dylan Burroughs here today with co-host Joseph Kerr, and we have an important program for you today. There is no doubt our nation is in need of revival, but the question is how? The Bible reveals a secret promise from 3,000 years ago to help. And to explain, we are joined today by Dr. Richard Blackaby, president of Blackaby Ministries International and author of the recent book, The Solomon Promise. Dr. Blackaby, welcome to A View from the Wall. It's great to be with you. Well, it's wonderful to have you here with us today, and we're going to dive right in. I'm excited about this book because it taps into something from long ago that is still vital to our lives today. The book is called The Solomon Promise, based on King Solomon and a prayer from his life from 3,000 years ago. Dive right in and give us the background to this. What does the Bible say? What is The Solomon Promise? Well, it's ultimately based on Second Chronicles 7.14. The context is that Solomon has built this magnificent temple. It's uh, probably one of the world wonders at that time. King David wanted to build it and wasn't allowed to, but Solomon, fabulously wealthy, pulls out all the stops, builds this enormous, beautiful temple, offers like over 100,000 burnt offerings. Uh, It's just this glorious moment to dedicate the the whole building. And, And God is so pleased with his people's worship that it says the glory of God just filled the temple. The priests couldn't even stay in the temple. They feared for their lives. God was so present there. They're just awesome, awesome, one-of-a-kind worship uh, services. And you would think that at that point, I mean, here's a king that's all in for God. Here's a nation that it loves God and worshiping him. They've got the best worship center on, on the planet. You'd think, uh, wow, like these people ought to have it together for a long time. And then shortly after that, God comes to to Solomon, and basically he says, um, when my people depart from me, um, and, and, and you do think Solomon would say, well, what do you mean, depart from <laughs> you? We've, nobody's ever been more for you than we are, right. and yet after the, perhaps the most magnificent worship service ever in recorded history, God says, oh, but you will depart. And when you do, and I shut up the heavens, I send locusts, I, I send pestilence, he said, if, if my people will humble themselves and uh, turn from their sins and, and pray and, and turn their faces back toward me, then I'll, then I'll hear from heaven. And, um, and, and God, even at that point, at, at perhaps the highest point of God's people's walk with him, God was already preparing them to say, I know what people are like. I know you will depart from me. And when you do, I promise you that if you will do this, then I will forgive you and I will heal your land. And a lot of things have changed in the last three centuries. God hasn't changed a bit. Amen. And uh, and God's people, we're, n- we're not the nation of Israel anymore. We're believers in, in Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. But, but we're God's people. And God is looking for his people today to still have the kind of godly influence that he wanted them to have 3,000 years ago. And so a lot has changed, and yet some principles remain the same. And 
and we keep acting the same way that God's people were 3,000 years ago. So the promise is still very relevant to today. I'm glad you put it that way, because we talk about Bible prophecy on this show frequently, so we're looking at promises God made thousands of years ago and seeing them come true, but bring it into today's context. That was 3,000 years ago. Yeah. What does that have to do with America today? Yeah, well, uh, number one, God's people tend to depart from him, just like they did 3,000 years ago. So your love for God may be red hot a week ago, and now you're already, your time with him is growing cold, your worship is getting stale. You used to obey God uh, in a heartbeat, and now all of a sudden you're wrestling with God, you're delaying obeying, you're resenting having to do what God said, you're excusing it. And and just like the Israelites of 3,000 years ago, you could be worshiping him with all your heart one week, and um, not long after that already you're beginning to look around and be tempted by other gods of this world. And, um, and, this, and the reason it's so tragic is because just like 3,000 years ago, God expects his people to be salt and light, to make a difference in this world. And when God's people are not the people that God wants them to be, they don't have the impact that God wants them to have either. And uh, and there's just too much at stake for God to let us just leave us where we are. God loves us too much to let us just depart from him like the prodigal son. And so God will do everything within his power to get our attention and draw us back. And he did that under Solomon's time, and uh, he knows how to do that in our day as well. Well, it's certainly the case. And in the description of your book, it talks about 70% of churches have plateaued or are in decline. And talking about the number of churches closing across our nation, if there was ever a time when our nation needed a revival, it's today. And you mentioned Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, as we talk about that in the context of today, bring that down to the everyday person who's listening right now. How does this apply to our individual lives as well as to our culture? Well, I think anyone that was had their, was paying attention in 2020 saw that a lot of darkness had spread across mm-hmm. America, um, that there was a lot of things deteriorating. And Jesus said God's people were to be salt and light. And uh, my dad always taught that if things are getting darker all around you, don't blame the darkness. That's, that's what darkness does. You look for the light. If the light was doing its job, you wouldn't be surrounded by darkness. Uh, we tend to zero in on darkness and condemn it and complain about it. But God said, no, if the light is doing what it's supposed to do, then the darkness has to flee. It can't permeate all around you. And so I think we saw a lot of darkness last year. And I think if there was, should ever be a wake-up call to God's people, it's right now to say, we, we, we keep going to church every Sunday. We, we build nice buildings. Why is it America is getting spiritually darker? Um, obviously, what we're doing is not dispelling darkness. It's not shedding light like God intended. And, uh, and I think that means we need to take some spiritual inventory to say, what, what about my life? And, and you can take that right down to your parents. Uh, I tell you that the greatest heartache that I hear is Christian parents telling me that their kids have all left the faith. They, they don't go mm-hmm. to church anymore. They've renounced the Christian principles and values that they grew up with. And, of course, it's devastating. And, and I don't you know, mean to just blame all the parents uh, for what their kids do. But, but I would say, as, as a parent, if darkness is making its way into your home, you you better come before the Lord and say, Lord, how do I 
do I, how do I have a house that is filled with the light of God, uh, of holy light? Uh, darkness seems to be getting to my kids. Uh, dark, I find darkness in my own heart. Uh, God, how does it get there? Uh, and so, you know, I, I think it comes right down to saying not just, God, would you just revive Washington? But God, things are getting darker in my home, in my marriage, uh, in my own walk with God. And, um, and so I think I need revival myself uh, so that I can dispel the darkness from the people around me. Well, that's so well said. And we're going to talk more about this, but we have to take a break. Stay with us. We'll be back with more here on A View from the Wall. From I Am a Watchman Ministries, here's today's I Am a Watchman Minute. Showing support for Israel is not popular today. But what does the Bible say? Should Christians and nations support Israel? The answer is yes. Genesis 12.3 notes that God will bless those who bless Israel. Numbers 24 verse 9 notes that God has pledged to protect Israel. Zechariah 12 verses 2 and 3 notes that God will move against those who rise up against Israel. And in Psalm 122 verse 6 we read that God will prosper those who support Israel. Pray for Israel. Pray that leaders and government will support Israel. For as it's been said, the friend of Israel is the friend of God. Visit imawatchman.com for resources profiling what God will do for and through Israel in the days to come. Be bold. Be faithful. Be a watchman. Iamawatchman.com Welcome back to A View from the Wall as we continue our conversation today with Dr. Richard Blackaby about his book, The Solomon Promise. We don't talk much about fearing God anymore in our culture or what the fear of God is. Let's start with that topic in this segment. Dr. Blackaby, tell us what the Bible says about the fear of God. Well, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about the fear of God. It's actually a sign of whether you really know God or not by how much you revere Him. I there's a there's a couple of verses in Isaiah uh, and then in Jeremiah as well where God just basically says, "Will you not tremble at my presence? Will you not tremble at my word?" And God is basically saying, "Well, do you not fear me? Uh, are you not in awe of me?" And um, but we, because of our our sinful nature and because of perhaps some of the sinful things that we grew up suffering from, uh, we see fear as a bad thing. Uh, fear is you shouldn't be afraid. Fear is of things that are evil. But of course, God is a holy God. He's not an evil God. He's, he doesn't seek to, to destroy you. He's not arbitrary. He is incredibly holy. And so um, you can fear him because you don't need to fear that he will do anything evil towards you. But uh, you do need to fear him because he is entirely wholly different than you. And interestingly, in the Bible, every time someone has an encounter with God, of course, the first thing that an angel or God has to say is, well, fear not. <laughs> Get up off your face. You, you know, you're, uh, it was just overwhelming when they actually encountered God. And that's, that's really what it means to fear God, is to just see him as he is. And, and if you see anywhere in the Bible where someone saw God as he was, they were on their face. They, they fell to the ground like a dead person. Uh, they said, woe is me. Uh, not that they necessarily feared that he was going to do anything terrible to them. It's just that they were blown away by how awesome God was and how how puny they were in, in comparison. 
You talk about worldview in the book. How does that relate to the fear of God? Well, we're dominated by a worldview that has been identified as postmodernism. Um, basically, it's a view that, that says there is no absolute truth. Truth is relative. Uh, you have your truth. I have my truth. Uh, and so if, if I don't want to have a God that makes me fearful, if I don't want to have a God that leaves me in awe, I just choose to not believe that's how he would be. I, I hear people all the time say, well, I just can't see a God who would not want me to be happy. I just can't believe in a God that would, would punish me for doing the wrong thing. So I, I'm just going to sort of fashion God into the image of what I want, They're basically just creating our own idol. And if whatever you want to believe is correct, then I'll tell you what, uh, that, that, that's one of the reasons why I believe the Bible is true, because anyone who was making up a religion wouldn't make their God so holy and fearful. Right. <laughs> They'd make him much more accommodating and understanding. Uh, but God isn't that way. And so we have a worldview that says just sort of fashion God into the type of God you're comfortable with based solely on what you want him to be instead of on objective truth uh, based on his word. And so God's word, if you read the Bible, uh, it's very clear that he's an awesome God worthy of being feared, um, feared in a holy way. And uh, and so, you know, I, I think regardless of what you want God to be like, the wise thing would be to say, but what is he like? And I need to respond to him based on that. Well, that's so well said. And one thing I enjoy about your book is this idea of urgency that you talk about. In our churches today and in our Christian lives, so much of the time we talk about someday down the road we will address some personal issue or we will get right with God or we will get revived in some way. But the truth is there's never a someday. It needs to be now. And when you talk about urgency in the book, talk about that, how that applies to each of us as we address this idea found in the Solomon Promise. Well, again, you know, last year, uh, watching the riots in the streets, watching the animosity, the polarization, the anger, uh, the racial uh, divide, uh, so much happening in in America uh, in in these days. And I remember just just watching such anger and uh, just so much violence and, and um, division. And I, I and I realized that the church was supposed to be God's answer to these problems. The church was supposed to bring uh, reconciliation, unity among races and people to help the poor and so on and to, and, and to set people free that were in bondage and to help them know the truth. But people are deceived, people are confused, and when I, when you, if you watch what was happening last year, I can tell you what it did for me. It, I remember just watching the news and seeing how bad things were getting and then coming down and pulling out my Bible and just getting alone with God and saying, God, the, the days are short. I mean, society cannot continue to decline like that for much longer. Uh, what needs to be done? And I had a sense of urgency to say, you can't wait five years from now. The church can't wait five years to get it back together. Uh, if 70%, and that, that number of 70% of churches plateau or declining was before COVID. Uh, and so I'm guessing it's even worse now. And so when you got 70% or more of churches not growing in a day like this, well, we can't sustain that uh, for much longer. There is a sense of urgency um, to say we've got to get together because eternity is at stake for people. Families are at stake um, and uh, the nation's at stake. 
And uh, there, if we ever wondered about how serious it was, I think last year ought to have been a wake-up call to say, we've, God's people have got to get their act together, and we need to do it soon. Well, let's make it practical then. We, we know where people are. How do people develop a healthy fear of God? Well, uh, read the Bible and see what God is actually like. You can't read the Bible and get a good view of God and not grow to fear Him. And, uh, and look at how God dealt with people when they refused to take Him seriously, uh, both in the Bible and uh, in real life. I, I know some people that made uh, light of sin. They knew that what they were doing was not uh, pleasing to God, and they joked about it. They laughed about it. And, and I've watched with horror how families, how marriages, how children have uh, suffered the consequence. And uh, I've just seen enough that I have to take sin and God seriously and say that it's just not a laughing matter. I, I, I knew someone one time that had committed adultery, and he was kind of make, making light of it. Um, and I just I shuddered because I realized his children, he, he didn't even begin to know how much his kids were going to suffer because of what he had done. And sure enough, the, as the days unfolded, it was devastating. And so you, you just open your eyes and see what the Scripture says, what, what happens in, in daily life now. And it, it, it ought to cause you to tremble at the thought of not taking God as seriously as He deserves to be. That's so well said. We so often overlook sin, but our sins are what entangle us and keep us from experiencing God's presence in its fullest. We're going to come right back after this break here on A View from the Wall. Stick with us. The Bible predicts the rapture of the church is coming. Are you ready? Soon many will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Only they will escape the dark days that are coming. A time of tribulation that will usher in the Antichrist and great destruction upon the entire earth. There's only one escape, one way, one light, one truth. His name is Jesus. He came and died so that we may live forever with Him. But to receive this new life, there are three things we must do. The ABCs of salvation. A. Admit you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. Ask for forgiveness and receive His grace. B. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came, lived, died, rose again, and will come again. Believe that He is Lord and God. C. Commit to walk His path, the path He wants you to walk, and walk it out by faith. Then you'll be ready for the return of the Lord. To learn more about the rapture and how to know for sure, visit amiraptureready.org. Welcome back to A View from the Wall. As we join Dr. Richard Blackaby for our final segment today in our conversation about the Solomon Promise, we want to talk more about the applications and how this connects with what is going on in the Bible in the last days. If we look at history, every great revival began with prayer. And this book asks readers the convicting question that if revival in America depended on your prayer life, would there be revival? And what should we be praying? Address that just a little bit if you would today. Well, you know, it's interesting. I asked, uh, people asked my dad a while ago, they said, well, Henry, it seems like there's a lot of people praying for revival today. Do you think that revival is any closer? And my dad had an interesting comment. He said, well, I see a lot of people saying prayers for revival. I don't see a lot of people crying out to God for it. Um, and revival comes with desperate praying, uh, holy praying. 
fervent praying. Just going through a bunch of Christian cliches, uh, just kind of rattling off the same prayer day after day, uh, is not necessarily the kind of praying that brings revival. It comes from a desperate prayer. And in light of all that we've been through in the last year or so, you would hope that uh, the nature of our praying had gone to a level it had never been at before. I love that you included that, because in the back of the book, you give an entire section about praying the scriptures. Is that what you're talking about when you talk about that kind of intense prayer? Well, certainly that's part of it, uh, but just a sense of urgency, for one thing. Uh, I prayed with some people that uh, there was a holy hush when they prayed. You just sensed the, the desperation, the fervency, just the brokenheartedness of their prayers, and uh, and then I hear a lot of praying in churches today where you just you're not even sure that they're paying attention to what they're saying. Uh, but when you have we have we do have in the book uh, a number of scriptures to pray, and of course those are meaty; those are not trite cliches. I I'll just tell you I'm I'm kind of on a, a, a warpath on cliches. I'm just tired of them. I'm just Christians saying all kinds of cliches. They haven't thought it through. It's not from the heart. It's not even from the Word of God. Uh, and so I think we need to get back to seeing what God says in his word about revival, about what pleases him. And then we need to be asking him to do those things. And so there's a whole list of those kinds of scriptures that um, I'd really encourage people, just take these and just pray them. Just You may pray them word for word, or at least in your own words, but those are things God is pleased to say yes to. And so if I'm going to pray, I want to pray things that I know God is pleased to answer and respond to. Yes, well, that's so well said. And in many of our traditional churches, this concept of revival is often used when we're talking about a certain event at a certain time of year at your church. People come together for a revival service or a series of revival meetings. But when you talk about revival and the Solomon Promise, it's a much different feel. It's a much different approach. Talk a little bit about how revival from a biblical standpoint is so much different than what we talk about when we label it as some kind of an event. Yeah, you know, if, I'm a church historian, and if you go back a century or so uh, or more, when churches would have a revival, what what they did is they'd have they'd have at least two weeks to a month where they would be meeting, and the first part of that, maybe the first week or more, was strictly for God's people. It was for God's people to get right with Him, to renounce sin, to get their life in a place where it pleased God, and then once God's people were right, then they kind of shifted it and they started inviting unbelievers to come to the meeting so that they could be converted, they could be saved. But as it got harder and harder for churches to keep doing all that, they cut all the part out for God's people. They just turned them into evangelistic meetings. And so now we call it revival, but we're not actually being revived. And we've just got to be willing to come before him and lay ourselves bare before him and get right. And then the world will feel the impact. Dr. Blackaby, we have many listeners who take that to heart. They consider themselves watchmen and women. They watch, warn, witness, and seek to finish well in what we all agree are the difficult last days that we're facing. Talk to our watchmen and women. How can they apply Solomon's promise? Well, we, we certainly need that, that. That is a huge calling today, to be a watchman on the wall, as Ezekiel said and other, other prophets said. And and there's at least two things you ought to be watching for. One is you should be watching for evil. That that was what a watchman did in that time. He watched for the enemy coming, and he sounded the alarm, and he was paying attention. And I'll tell you what, it seems as if the church has been sleeping of late, and the enemy has crept right into our ranks, right into the walls, and no one has sounded the alarm. And all of a sudden, you wake up one day and say, 
how did America get like this? And we realized, well, it, it didn't happen overnight. It's, the darkness has been creeping in for years, but no one was sounding the alarm. Uh, and secondly, you have to be watching for God's activity. Uh, my dad wrote in Experiencing God that God is always at work around you. And, uh, and the problem is that God's people aren't even recognizing when God is at work. And I'll tell you, this past year with COVID and everything else, there's all kinds of problems. But with God, there's always, behind every problem, there's a possibility. And I'm, some churches are looking for those, and instead of just you know, wringing their hands at what they can't do now, they're seeing God at work in all kinds of fresh new ways. And I'm seeing churches, some churches that are growing faster now than they ever have, reaching more people than they ever did. Uh, there are possibilities to be had. And so as a spiritual watchman, you watch for the evil, you watch for the darkness, but you also watch for where God's at work. And then you alert everybody, hey, everybody, God's at work here. Let's join him. Let's get involved and be a part of God's activity. And that's when the nation, again, begins to feel the impact. Well, that's so well said. And we just have a few moments left. And I want people to know where they can go to get a copy of the Solomon Promise and get more information about your ministry. Well, certainly you can go to our website, which is just at blackaby.org, and we have a lot of resources there. We have a store in which uh, all the Blackaby materials you can, can be found there. There's also actually some sermon audio sermons you can download uh, based on some of these books, like the Solomon Promise. And then, of course, Amazon has everything as well, so not hard uh, to get that. I Probably one of those, those two places would be as good as any uh, to, to get that book. Oh, great. Again, you've been listening today to Dr. Richard Blackaby talk about the Solomon Promise. And this is a book I want to challenge you to get a copy of, whether you download an ebook version of it or order it from their ministry, and get these ideas into your mind, into your soul, and experience God's presence in your life in a fresh and new way. We want to thank you again for joining us on A View from the Wall and listen again at IamAWatchman.com, where you can pick up a copy of our latest e-newsletter, download a free ebook, and enjoy our other resources to help you in your spiritual life. We appreciate your prayers and support and encourage you to join us next time here on A View from the Wall. A View from the Wall, in association with I Am a Watchman Ministries, exists to equip a worldwide audience with biblical truth, sharing it with others, and being prepared for Christ's imminent return. The team seeks to encourage, inspire, and equip watchmen for such a time as this. For information about the ministry and upcoming events, visit IamAWatchman.com. A View from the Wall is made possible by the team of dedicated pastors, editors, and the many contributors of I Am A Watchman Ministries. To support our efforts, give online at IamAWatchman.com and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time on A View from the Wall.